Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, episode 107. Three ways to create breakthrough thinking for more powerful decisions. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hi, Pam. And as always, it's wonderful to be joining you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. And if this is your first time listening, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders and their companies to accelerate to the next level of growth and success. So Pam, what are we going to take on today? Three ways to create breakthrough thinking for more powerful decisions. Okay, always a good thing. As the year is unfolding, what we're already seeing is that it is a dramatically different place. Right. We're going to need to make more powerful decisions. And that means not just thinking incrementally. It means taking a radically different approach to respond to all of these changing conditions. And that's breakthrough thinking. The issue is that we have cognitive biases that tend to get in the way of this kind of thinking. Right. These are tendencies towards habits of thought or mental illusions, kind of analogous to optical illusions, that can lead us astray sometimes. Now, you read a book that is called The Undoing Project, and that's very apt because to create breakthrough thinking that leads to more powerful decisions, we have to undo a lot of the biases that we've acquired over the years. That's right. So as you said, The Undoing Project, uh, subtitle is A Friendship That Changed Our Minds. It's by Michael Lewis. He wrote Moneyball and The Big Short. So he's a really great popularizer of economic thinking. And this is about the friendship of two really amazing uh, psychologists, experimental psychologists, originally from Israel, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tvetsky. And they collaborated together for over 16 years and created the foundation of what is now known as behavioral economics. So what did you like about this book, Scott? Well, the this book was, in Lewis's style, very readable, and it really captured the idea of two very, very different personalities. Tvetsky was very outgoing. He was brave. He was a decorated soldier in the Israeli mm-hmm. army. Kahneman was much more introverted, uh, more uncertain of himself. He had uh, survived the Nazi occupation in Europe uh, and had been in a concentration camp. And so he was struggling to find the meaning of why people do such outrageous things. So very different personalities. Very different personalities, but they came together in a way that really drew out thinking that neither of them by themselves would have been able to come up with. I found that very inspirational. And what I also was inspired by was the the process that Lewis talked about on how they came about getting down to undoing 
unraveling how people think that really leads them astray. And they started out by asking simple questions that had correct answers, but people almost never got correct. So our cognitive biases enter in at all different times. Right. And of course, at that time, the time that they, they were doing the research in the 60s, no one was talking about cognitive biases. They really were at the forefront of developing this concept. And in doing this, they created a foundation of why. Why sometimes our intuition just doesn't work. Other times it does. And as you know, you know, you can't take the scientist out of me. I love to understand why, because if you understand why, why things work the way they work, then you can do something about it. You can use that into that insight in unfamiliar conditions, in unfamiliar situations, and make better decisions and, and create the reality that you want to create in a very purposeful way. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to learn more about some of the stories behind the why of the Undoing Project. Stay with us. Thanks for joining us on Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. We focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum in their companies for game-changing results. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. Does this topic resonate with you? Check out related episodes to expand your perspectives and take away even more immediately actionable ideas. Just go to growthignitersradio.com episode 107 and scroll down to resources. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly alert of upcoming episodes so you'll always be up to date. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are talking about three ways to create breakthrough thinking for more powerful decisions. And you can get resources for this episode by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 107. So Scott, we started out talking about The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, which is a very compelling book. I've taken a look at it. Uh, You've read it in more detail than I have at this point. Let's talk about three ways to create breakthrough thinking through undoing some of our cognitive biases. Okay. Well, let's talk about the first one. Okay. Well, first off, since Kahneman and Tversky did their research back in the 60s, other people have picked up on it. And now you can uh, Google cognitive bias, and there are over 100 different types. That's right. Now, some of them I am a little suspect of. You know, if you go to Wikipedia, you see some that are just weird. But whether they're scientific or not, the fact is that we have a lot of biases and we don't go around talking about, well, this is the monkey wrench bias (laughs) and all of this. What's important is that we can recognize a cognitive bias when we experience it. And so- In that book, what I appreciated about it was that he told stories. Yeah. And it's through our stories that we learn. And so just to represent one that uh, comes up time and again, people frequently refer to this as pigeonholing mm-hmm. or, or putting people in a box. And the way that Kahneman and Tversky did their research was they would 
very frequently lay out little scenarios to people and then have them make choices for answers. And one of them, very famous example from one of their best papers was what became known as the Linda question. And I'm going to read this from uh, page 324. And uh, the question was framed, Linda is 31 years old. She's single, outspoken, and very bright. She majored in philosophy. As a student, she was deeply concerned with issues of discrimination and social injustice. And she also participated in anti-nuclear demonstrations. So then they ask questions about, to what degree does Linda resemble the typical member of each of the following classes? And they gave several classes. Uh, one of them was that Linda's a bank teller. Another one was Linda is a bank teller and is active in the feminist movement. And how likely are each of these things to be? And to their amazement, and they did this experiment multiple times in multiple ways, what do you think that the majority of people said Linda was? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> well, the majority said Linda's a bank teller and is active in the feminist movement. Now, the fact is that if you just look at probabilities, the probability of being Linda Linda's a bank teller, okay, that's possible. Uh-huh, that is. Linda's a feminist, that's possible. That's you possible. take the two of those together though, and just statistically they are less likely because Linda is a feminist bank teller is entirely encompassed in Linda's a bank teller. Okay, so what you're doing is you are looking at the characteristics of this person and saying, well, she has to be that. Mm -hmm. And it's not it, it, it's not logical. It may not be logical, but it is understandable. Right. So this is very interesting, Scott. Why did this happen? Why was this pigeonholing happening? Okay, well, in uh, Tvetsky and, and Kahneman's research, uh, they came up with the concept that people create mental models based upon experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, often, you know, we see this and this is the cause of that or this is related. And the relatedness is what can trip people up. And so in this Linda model, they describe someone who would have maybe some of the typical characteristics of a feminist. Mm -hmm. But they didn't ask, is she a feminist? Full stop. They said, is she a bank teller or is she a bank teller who is also a feminist? And what's more likely? Well, what's more likely is one thing and not two things combined. And yet people allowed that anchoring to bias them and draw a conclusion that they were asked about probabilities was less probable. So we can't make assumptions about a person based on only knowing some of their characteristics. And that's true in all kinds of cases. In order to have those breakthrough decisions mm -hmm. that lead to more powerful results, we need to be able to shed the cognitive biases. In this case, we're talking about pigeonholing, which not only impacts hiring, it also impacts strategy and execution if we're making decisions about something based on only a few factors. We have to look at the complete picture. So Scott, what's another cognitive bias? Okay, so an, another very common cognitive bias that Tvetsky and Kahneman uh, first turned up, it has a label, it's called the halo effect. And it really is uh, a close cousin of pigeonholing, but uh, different. Have you ever experienced in a meeting, I know I have, 
where you have someone, uh, maybe they're a little soft-spoken, maybe they're a little lower rank than some of the other people in the meeting. They say something and it's ignored or, or kind of dismissed, mm-hmm. pushed aside. And the meeting goes on and a little bit later, someone else says something fairly similar, but maybe they're a little more attractive or they're more self-assured or they're a higher rank. And people go, great idea. <laughs> right? There's ever, the halo. Ever seen that? That's the halo effect. It may not be actually correct, but the researchers found that there is a correlation between how confident someone is or the level, the higher level in the hierarchy that they have and how believable people can perceive them to be. Mm -hmm. So this is very uh, important because in an uncertain world, which we now live in, uh, people aren't always going to be right just because they're confident. Right. So to create breakthrough thinking for more powerful decisions, we need to look beyond the confidence Mm -hmm. into the substance of the message. We need to find ways to test it out to see if it's really viable. Right. So, Scott, what's a third cognitive bias we can challenge to create breakthrough thinking and more powerful decisions? Okay, another one that Kahneman and Tvetsky made famous was what has become known as as the availability bias. And that is that what we can remember easily can really color the decisions and the conclusions we make. One of the early questions they asked was, uh, for any given consonant, say R, is it more likely that on a page of a book that you're going to find more words with R as the first letter or as the third letter? And other consonants as well. And almost every every time people said, Oh, much more the first letter. Why? Even though two to one, these consonants were more common in the third place. It's almost impossible to think of a word where R is the third letter. You know, rat, right, rate. Okay, easy. Availability. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. Yeah, but but if you if you go for the third letter, you can't think of it. Now, in more practical terms in business, which they did not study, but we've seen time and again, and other people have as well, are the times where we associate a prior effect or a prior result with the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, uh, we tried a strategy and that one didn't work. Didn't work so well. Or we tried a certain strategy and by golly, it was great. But the fact is, that allowing memories of something that happened in the past that are easily retrievable to influence the conclusions that we make about the future without really diving deeper into what's going on, it can lead us astray. And this is especially dangerous as things are changing rapidly. That strategy that did or did not work even six months ago could play out very differently today. So it's critical to look at what's the same and what's different before you make your decision. Right. And it's very important that we point out that these cognitive biases and all the cognitive biases that have been described since Kahneman and Tvetsky did their work, they are not related to how smart we are, how experienced we are, how successful we are. They're related to how human we are. Well, that's right. (laughs) And we're in our own systems. That's right. We're hardwired. That's right. And so what we have to do is accept it, know that these exist, know that tendencies to have 
instincts and intuitions that can lead us astray exist. We also have to recognize that sometimes intuitions and instincts are very, very good and extremely useful to guiding us to new breakthroughs and new ways of doing things that will create entirely new opportunities for success. The question is, how do you tell the difference between the two types of instinct and intuition? And how can we immunize ourselves as individuals and as companies against tendencies that will run counter to getting the outcomes that we really need and tendencies that will advance our objectives. So we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Scott and I are going to talk about three immediately useful ideas for creating breakthrough thinking for more powerful decisions. Stay with us. You are listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, on the web at businessadvance.com. So Scott, we are now entering our third year of Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. That's right. It's almost exactly two years ago that we started the podcast series, and we're so glad that we're getting more and more listeners all the time. So if you've been finding this series valuable, would you help us spread the good word? Just go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 107, and use the social media share links on the left side of the page to tell your communities all about us. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I have been talking about creating breakthrough thinking for more powerful decisions, and we're doing it in the form of shedding our cognitive biases. We're going to talk about three immediately actionable ideas for putting the concepts we discussed in the second segment to use. The first idea is to test out whether you have a cognitively diverse group of people around you or a network of people who can help you identify if you're being influenced by cognitive biases. So for instance, are there people who, if you are a quick thinker, who do you have around you that you can tap into who slows things down a little bit and is a little more analytical? Mm -hmm. Or do you have people in your network who see the signs of emerging trends and opportunities? That's great. Who do you have in your network who also sees the signs of long-term threats and imminent dangers? And who would you have in your network that can project out some of the practical implications of mobilizing these decisions? And who do you have in your network who can talk to you about the cultural implications of whatever that decision is? The point is that the more diversity you have in a group of people that will talk to you and each other, frankly and openly, the more that each of your individual biases will cancel out and you will come to a more robust idea of what the best breakthrough ideas really are that can be moved forward and elevate you to that next level of success. Exactly. So a second immediately useful idea is now more of a responsive kind of test. Mm -hmm. In other words, when people push back at you, how do you respond? Do people push back at you? That's the first question. Because if they aren't, if you're not getting people questioning and asking questions, and you're not questioning them, then you ask yourself, well, have I created 
a environment where the type of conversation that is going to surface cognitive biases and test out implications and say, okay, well, this is a great idea. What's our evidence for this? Mm-hmm. What's changed and what's the same? And you know, not just reaching into, well, that worked. You know, it's going to work again. That's the question. If you're, are you having those conversations and how are you reacting to them? It all comes down to creating a safe environment for people to push back. And you do that by modeling, asking questions and listening to the responses. And it's that productive give and take that raises the level of creativity and more powerful decisions. Right. And by modeling this open conversation with your own network and community, you actually create an environment which propagates it through the entire organization. So Pam, what's a third practical piece of advice that people can use to put these ideas to work? The third thing is to make sure that these kinds of conversations are happening on a regular basis. Okay, so it's not just an occasional thing when we're doing a strategic retreat or something like that. Not at all, because the world is changing so rapidly that we need to have these conversations come up. Where are the opportunities? Where are the dangers? Ah. How can we make things work even better? And what's the evidence for our decisions? And how can we really get a feeling that we're not being beguiled by some cognitive bias that could lead us astray? There's no exact recipe for this. Every organization does it differently. Right. But the criteria is that it's regular, that it's frequent, that there's a lot of give and take, Mm -hmm. and that it's working. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> That's the real test of the uh, of the whole mix there. So, Pam, do you have any final thoughts on challenging cognitive biases, changing our minds to create that breakthrough thinking that we really need to get to the next level? We can't completely undo our cognitive biases. There are too many of them, and we're hardwired. However, we can accept them, right. and we can find ways to outsmart them. Aha, right. The more we ensure that we've built a diverse network and community that can communicate with us in different ways, the more likely it is that we'll be able to break through these cognitive biases Mm -hmm. and create more powerful decisions. Thanks, Pam. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To get show notes and links to resources for today's episode, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 107. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this thought to consider. What can I do? Starting now to increase the strength of the networks for myself and for the rest of my company that will challenge cognitive biases and create the thinking we need to break through to even higher levels of success. Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.